Welcome to another episode of the Creative on Purpose broadcast, conversations about finding fulfillment through more meaningful work. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Creative on Purpose, available on Amazon, or visit BeCreativeOnPurpose.com to get started with free chapters. Let's meet today's guest. Seth Godin, welcome back to the broadcast. Please introduce yourself and share a project you're currently working on or excited about. Hey, Scott. It's great to be here. I am a teacher, an entrepreneur, an author, a blogger. I've written 18 bestsellers, and my current projects are the marketing seminar, which you and I have engaged on, and uh, the Alt-MBA, both of which are online workshops, not courses, that aim to transform the way people do their work in their life. But before I let you have the microphone back, I just got to say, creative on purpose, what a great riff. What three words, magic, you nailed it. Bravo. Well, thank you. Um, That is especially powerful coming from you because you were the person that warned me against my previous title. (laughs) And I remember sitting in that office across the table from you and apologizing directly to you for ignoring your sage counsel and advice. No apologies, Uh, but I'm glad you found a good one. Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't arrive where we are, you know, through any other path, but the one that we choose. And so uh, it's been, it's been really exciting. And of course, Creative on Purpose, um, for those tuning in that aren't aware, was really born in the marketing workshop and the marketing seminar, the very first uh, run of the marketing seminar. Um, you're now in uh, in the fourth session, which I am again participating in, and um, season five of the seminar is coming up pretty soon. So tell us more about the marketing seminar. Uh, here's some questions that you might be familiar with. What's it for, Seth? Who's it Who, for? Who's it for? And what is the change you're trying to make? There you go. Those are the three questions. That's what it is. It's those three questions. Who's it for? What's it for? And what are the change? What is the change you seek to make? That's what marketing is. Marketing is not advertising. Marketing is showing up in the world with an assertion, with a product or service that you will use to connect people, to elevate people, to make things better. But you cannot do it for everyone. Starbucks is not for everyone. Apple is not for everyone. And most of all, that freelancer down the street who has 40 clients and needs six more, she's not for everyone. That's a good thing. So we begin with who's it for? If you can't be specific about who's it for, you're hiding. In the case of the marketing seminar, we're very specific. It's for freelancers, entrepreneurs, middle managers, CEOs, people who run nonprofits, human beings who want a bigger change in the world. That's who it's for. What's it for? It's to help people realize they don't need to hype. They don't need to scam. They don't need to hustle. They need to do modern marketing. And modern marketing is different because it begins with a radical set of empathy toward and with the people you seek to serve. And from that, lots of things follow. And the change we're trying to make is really simple. We're trying to change people who are frustrated at the impact they are making in the world to people who are thrilled at the impact they can make in the world. And we know it's not easy. If it was easy, I would just write a blog post and be done. And so we've built something that takes people who are enrolled, who seek to make a big impact and give them the foundation they need to do it. We use extraordinary uh, software, but mostly amazing people 
We've got great coaches. I hear one of them is in the room with us today. <laughs> and um, we use video and we use discussion because discussion is our secret weapon. So that's my rant. That's what we do. Very good. And it's, uh, it's an incredibly impactful program. So I've participated in the Alt-MBA in session six, an extremely transformative uh, adventure for me. It definitely um, just really helped me realize that as much good work as I thought I was doing, I was capable of much more and greater work. And then the marketing seminar is really about, for me, uh, help, has helped supply strategies and tactics that helped me take that thing that was born at the end of all MBA and put it into the world, not just to get a, have people pay attention to it, but to effectively engage with the right people and get that sense of investment and enrollment in the change that, that I seek to make. It is not neither Alt-MBA or the marketing seminar or what I would describe your typical kind of passive online programs. Um, talk a little bit about why you decided to choose this path where your programs tend to be a little bit more rigorous. They require a higher level of investment and engagement uh, and enrollment to um, in order for people to to really get you know more than their money's worth out of the programs yeah you know i had i had to make a choice lots of teachers and people want to make an impact have to make a choice i love books i've been doing books my whole life the deal with a book is pretty simple go to a bookstore which is filled with books and for 20 bucks you'll get a whole bunch of wisdom and then it's up to you to read it it's up to you to engage with it it's up to you to turn it into something so there are books on my shelf that changed my life that didn't change your life or her life or her life. And that's the deal, right? So there's the equivalent of that now online with my Udemy courses, other people's Udemy courses, courses on Skillshare, et cetera. What I found was video changes things and the perception of the promise becomes bigger by the recipient. The recipient says, wait a minute, I didn't read this book in my voice. I'm doing this video in your voice. Why didn't this course change me? And so I thought really hard and spent uh, many, many months of my life trying to decode what would be the future of online education. And if I was willing to work way harder than I work on a book and commit to it for way longer, what could I build? And so what we've created are institutions that use video, but mostly use group dynamics. Because learning is not about exposure to information. There's unlimited information online. Learning is about acting as if. It's about uh, enrollment. It's about doing it wrong until you get it right. And the problem with most of the people who engage with most of the video online is we go like this, but then when the video is over, we still don't know how to play golf. We still don't know how to juggle. We still don't know how to make a sales call. Whereas if you go through the Alt-MBA where we have no video, but where you work three or four or five hours a day for a month, or you go through the marketing seminar where we have 100 days of video every other day, and all of this discussion, you will be changed. I can guarantee you will be changed. And it's very interesting. We have a, a money-back guarantee for the, the marketing seminar. Not very many people have asked for their money back, but every person who has asked for their money back with almost no exceptions, didn't bother to participate. If you participate, it will work. 
So the question you have to ask yourself is not, will it work, is will I participate? And that's scary. And I know it's scary, but so is learning. And I want to deliver learning. I don't want to, I'm not trying to make a living. I'm trying to make a difference. So the, the words of one of my favorite philosophers, Epictetus, comes to mind. Learning that does not lead to action is useless. And you have really baked that into this and the Alt-MBA program. And you've also built this extraordinary community within these two uh, online institutions where the, 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 the other participants become teachers as well. That's and right. They force you to become a better teacher for yourself and to generously share your insights with others. That is um, an That's incredible- the secret. You just yeah. gave away the secret. Here's the deal. <laughs> Lots of people think they can criticize your strategy. Lots of people easily criticize one's logo, easily talk about one's copy. Well, if you get in the habit of doing that all the time, unless you're a raging hypocrite, you're going to have to start doing it to yourself. And once you start doing it to yourself, now you've learned it. Yeah. So one of the things that informs Creative on Purpose, the, the ebook, and that I learned even more about in your program is this idea of going out and soliciting feedback it is such an important thing. But feedback is a very different thing than criticism. Feedback is something that you ask for, that you enroll somebody else in, into providing to you. And you ask people for feedback that you know, trust, and who have your best interests at heart. And too often, especially in the online world, criticism comes from anonymous strangers who right. seek to elevate themselves by putting you down. Right. Um, and you have done this extraordinary work in the marketing seminar of having people, of teaching people as they do the, this work, how to become better and better at providing feedback from themselves and then being more reflective on their own. So I have a, this is, this is the question I've been dying to ask you. Having gone through two of your programs, one of them for a second time, I think I do a really good job of seeing things that other people don't see within their work and providing meaningful feedback. I do a really lousy job of provide of seeing being insightful about the work that I am doing. <laughs> and so thank goodness for all the people in the marketing seminar, but tell me why is, wh what is your take on that dynamic that we can so clearly see the, the opportunities and the mistakes in somebody else's work, but we can't see that within our own. Well, first thing I'll say is you've gotten about a hundred times better at it. <laughs> thank I've, you. I've watched your work in the seminar since the first time. And uh, you are at the top of your class in terms of being able to now reflect back to yourself what you see. I will tell you that I'm pretty lousy at it. Um, I am looking here in my head to see if I can show our audience the cover of the, the single worst book cover made by a successful author in the last 20 years. I don't see it. I wrote a book called All Marketers Are Liars. Yes. <laughs> and that's a terrible, terrible title for a book. And on the book cover is a picture of me with a three-inch long Pinocchio nose. It's a terrible picture. So what I did was I took one of the best books I've ever written and gave it the worst title 
and the worst cover. Now, what we train ourselves to do as people who are creative on purpose is to ignore unsolicited criticism. So when everyone was telling me it was a stupid title and a stupid cover, I ignored them because after all, I'm an artist. Well, I ended up sabotaging my book and we tried to save it. We gave it a new title and stuff, but I regret it. And the reason I regret it isn't just because I didn't reach everyone I wanted to reach with the book. I regret it because I didn't see it. And so I've tried to get better and better at seeing it, but I'm terrible and we're all terrible. And the reason surprisingly is the same reason why if you have a piece of parsley in your teeth, you're the only person who will notice it. That we easily nitpick ourselves on a certain superficial level, like, oh, yes, I, right? It freaks everybody. It freaks If you say to someone, you got something in your teeth, they're going to mess up because it's their job to notice they have something in their teeth. But at the same time, when we're doing art, when we're out on a limb, when we're trying to be creative on purpose, it's so fragile that we don't want to hear it. We just want to fall in love with the tiny little thing we eked out. And the hard work, you know, if you think about Miles Davis, when he, when he made Kind of Blue, it's not like everyone said, wow, that's the best album I ever heard. It was crazy. It was wrong. It was too far ahead of its time. It was all of these things that he needed to ignore the feedback from the wandering masses. But, and this is the key thing, immediately thereafter, Miles became impatient with his own status quo and started pushing toward the next cycle and then Bitches Brew and then the next cycle. And if you look of the 50 albums he recorded, 20 of them were no good. But that was, those were the experiments. And then he learned from them and made a better one. And so to be a professional creative, to do it on purpose, not to wait for the muse, and to do it on purpose, knowing that you could make it better if you could just see yourself in the mirror. Excellent. So I'm, I'm furiously writing things because I want to talk about just a couple, pull up on a couple of threads that um, you've, you've laid out for us. The first is um, you need to give yourself a big pass on all marketers are liars because it's not nearly as bad as the Stoic Creative Handbook. Um, <laughs> second, um, well, the, the Miles Davis thing, that, that, so Miles Davis is my favorite jazz artist. Um, he's somebody I really try to admire and emulate as a musician myself because what Miles Davis did he did despite a lot of um a lot of weaknesses he he was not a powerful player he was not a fast player and he started off playing with Dizzy Gillespie who was powerful and fast and he realized I can't be Dizzy Gillespie and so instead of trying to force himself into the Dizzy Gillespie hole he said I'm gonna dig a hole over here yep that's, that's the Miles Davis hole. And he paid attention to his phrasing. He was, although very, a very tough human being, uh, a boxer, he was incredibly vulnerable and sensitive in his approach to the instrument. Um, and so he, by taking, and you, you can go ahead and, and um, talk a little bit more about this, please, but by, by accepting the constraints of his abilities. He yeah. was able to flourish as an artist 
by playing not to his strengths, but to his weaknesses. Well, playing to his weaknesses, I would say he played with his strengths. How about that? There you go. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, he real instead of forcing himself to try to be something that he he wasn't naturally or, or would have to work very hard at being, he took what he was good at and continued to develop and exploit those parts of his musical personality. Right. And here's why that's so difficult, because if you're a wandering generality and you're working hard to fit in and you're at 80 percent in seven different areas, if someone criticizes you, you say, well, I'm at 80%. I'm working my way up. But if you go on the raft, your only raft, and say, this is me, and someone says, I don't like you, you're sunk. And so it's so much easier to say, but I also do this, and I also do this, and I also do this, that the resume of the best freelancer in the world and the person you want to hire when you're really in a jam, it's only three lines long. I am the best in the world at this. I don't care where you went to college. I don't care about this and this. And I'm not looking for well-rounded. If you're trying to cut a piece of carrot, you don't want a well-rounded knife. You want a sharp knife. And it may be that the sharp knife can't cut today. It may be that you have the wrong project and the wrong fit, but at least it's a sharp knife, right? And so the, the opportunity here is to own a thing and be comfortable saying to the critic, oh, sorry, it's not for you. And that simple sentence is so hard for people to say. Yeah, that's so, well, and, but how, what a great lesson that I learned first in the in Alt-MBA is to be able to stand up and be seen and speak up and be heard and to speak your truth and have people point and laugh and make fun of you and be able to just say, uh, that's, I'm, that's okay. I didn't make it for you. I made it for somebody over here and maybe this person over here. And that, I think that speaks to the earlier point that we were uh, discussing about why can't we be as discerning about our own work as we can about somebody else's is that we have too much attachment. And if we can not, doesn't mean that we aren't enrolled and invested in our work, but if we're not attached to outcomes that we think we need, but instead pay attention, and this speaks to the, the creative on purpose idea, and you speak to this um, in all of your work, it's, it's not the results that we need to go into our work with. It's the reasons that we're going into the work. Yeah. What, what Talk is a little bit about attachment, because I think some people listening don't really know what that means. Just the idea that um, we ourselves as human beings are, uh, that any comments on our work are reflections of who we are as people, that if you don't like somebody's work, that, that, that means that you don't like them or that if you don't think it's worthy, that they're not worthy. But also I think the attachment from the person, the maker's perspective is every Every creative act and every act that we do is creative because we're bringing something into the world that didn't exist until we did it or made it or said it. <laughs> um, it, it is an opportunity for us to learn, grow, connect, collaborate, communicate, all those, all those things. Um, and instead of being invested in, 
you know, I'm going to do this so that I can make money. I'm going to do this so I can get some attention or notoriety or fame or fortune or what have you to um, put it into the world with the simple idea that we are trying to, to bring forth a change in the world that we seek to make or to enact. Let, let, me, let me get really specific here though. I, I'm going to say that attachment is falling in love with something that hasn't happened yet. So uh, when your 17-year-old announces that he's not going to go to college, <laughs> are you upset because you're sure his life is ruined? Or are you upset because for 17 years you've been in love with the idea that okay. you will be able to prove to the world that you can raise a good kid because they're going to go to college? That when you put a book into the world, and someone writes a two-star review that's inaccurate, that says things about your book that aren't true, and you're upset. Are you upset because you fell in love with the idea that everyone would love your book? Or are you upset because you naively think that one two-star review is going to hurt your sales? Because it won't, right? So attachment causes suffering. And the reason it causes suffering is there's a difference between what we insisted was going to happen and what actually happened. And the problem that creatives have is you can't invent a future without sort of liking it as you go. So as we're writing, as we're drawing, as we're spinning whatever we're spinning up, we're living in the future. We have to be, right? So if you're a chef and you're inventing a recipe, you're not just inventing a recipe. You're imagining that tomorrow night when someone eats it, they're going to smile. You have lived there. Okay, and then tomorrow night arrives. Well, if you're going to spend tomorrow night telepathically, telekinetically forcing people from, where, from your spot in the kitchen to enjoy that thing you made by remote control, you'll get nothing out of tonight because you're busy spending a lot of cycles that don't work. Right. On the other hand, if you're open and say, here, I made this, Let's see what happens. The odds of them liking it are exactly the same, but the odds of you having a good evening go way up. Right. So it took me years and years because the stakes were really high at the beginning, financially, reputationally, not at all. I had no reputation, but financially, I was going to have to go out of business if someone didn't buy this book proposal. So there's a lot of this. And as my reputation increased, the financial thing goes away, but it's even worse when it's the reputation thing because you're going, oh my God, I'll never get my reputation back if even one person doesn't like this. And I just decided, literally decided 14 years ago, that wasn't helping. And so five years ago, I stopped reading my Amazon reviews. Haven't read one since that day because I'm never going to write that book again. So why do I need your criticism? It's not going to help me. I've already written the book. And that lets me dance a little lighter. And I'm not perfect at it by any means. Right. There are people talking behind my back right this minute. And I know it. All I can do is realize that looking at what they're saying isn't going to make me a happier person. So this is baked into your philosophy and all, all of your, your work and, and your approach to your work, I think. This might not work. Embracing the idea that this might not work. Um, and not being overly attached to a result that you think is is correct. Um, 
and it points to, I think, a really important point of, as human beings, we really only control two things. Uh, the first is how we decide to see the world, how to see other people's search situations and circumstances, and then what we decide to do next. And so often we go from a perception that is knee-jerk and um, misguided to an action that is informed by that. Yes. That, that is only making things worse. And of course, the best thing to do when um, digging a hole you don't want to be in is to stop digging and to insert that pause. Do you have any strategies for yourself or because you said you're still working at this and I certainly feel like I'm still working at this. How, how do you insert that pause in, in your life when you see, when, when an opportunity appears to be um, something that's harmful or, or uh, you know, an, uh, an obstacle that may be an opportunity in disguise, but you're seeing it only as the obstacle. How do you stop yourself from acting, reacting as opposed to thoughtfully acting? Uh you know, my friend, the late Zig Ziglar, used to talk up. Oh, there's the fire there's department. The fire department. <laughs> used, to, used to talk about the difference between reacting and responding. Excellent. When, when the doctor gives you medicine and you get better, she smiles and says, oh, you're responding to the medicine. But if she gives you medicine and you break out in a rash, she says, oh, you're reacting to the medicine. Well, one way to frame it for yourself might be this. You've read thrillers. You've seen action movies. And about two-thirds of the way through, if you're a thoughtful uh, analyst, you'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why does the hero keep doing this? Why doesn't the hero just go home, run a full-page ad in the paper announcing all the facts of the case? Why doesn't the hero just stop constantly battling because they're just wasting time and energy? What would I do in that situation? Well, it's probably better because I'm not the one who was offended. I'm not the one who has a score to settle. Well, what would happen if you thought about everything that's happened to you until this moment as a book? And someone wrote a book of all of the injustices and all of the wins and all of the losses and all the slights and all the advantages, and you read it about somebody else, but all of it. And then you got to decide what to do next with no chip on your shoulder, with no agenda of revenge or reaction. And it's not easy to do that for yourself, but it's really easy to do it for everybody else. Right. So the act and the reason that mindfulness and meditation work beyond the neurochemical benefits is that if you're taking the 300 seconds to differentiate the you of today with the person who was in the book yesterday, you get to make a new decision. And if you like making decisions that lead to the outcomes you're getting, keep doing it. But then don't complain about the outcomes you're getting because you're the one who's getting them. On the other hand, every day we get to make new choices based on what we got from our old person, our old yesterday. And if you don't want to accept the gift from your old yesterday, don't accept it. It's a gift and you don't have to take it. It's a sunk cost or a sunk benefit and it's sunk. New days require new decisions. Beautiful. Well, we are nearing the end of our half hour together, and I, I could always this is this is the third half hour that we spent together, and I always feel like they go by too fast. Tell everybody um, quickly where they can connect with Seth Godin and 
most importantly, as uh, the new session is about to um, open up for enrollment, where can people find out more about this extraordinary program, the marketing seminar? Well, so I, when I create digital stuff, it's usually free. There are 7,300 blog posts at uh, my blog. Just type Seth into Google and there it is. You can also type blog into Google and I'm like number seven, but Seth works pretty reliably. Um, the two courses, the two, they're not courses, the two seminars, workshops, themarketingseminar.com. And if you go there and type in your email address, we will send you a note with a special discount code for when we open, which is in a couple of weeks. And the AltMBA, which is at altmba.com. And uh, we're accepting applications right now for the summer session. And you've been so generous in the way you talk about these two programs. But I got to tell you, they're the two things I've done in 30 years that have the biggest impact on people. Nothing else is even. Oh. And that's why I keep doing it, because it's working. Yeah, it's uh, both uh, programs um, personally have been profoundly transformational to, to me. And, and I just want to say that both programs, you, I went into each program with a certain expectation and, and, and realized that I and got something completely different out of it. The thing that you will get out of both of these programs, folks, is you'll become a better human being for going through these programs. And I mean that as a business person, but I mean that also as a person, person, a person living in a social, um, you know, in whatever social scene and whatever workplace scene, you will, you will become better uh, for either of these two programs. And I want to end because what you were saying at the very end, Seth, seemed to tie right on back to, to my question about why can't we see what others see in our work um, and the mindfulness and all that. Um, it's about living in the moment and embracing the process, accepting that it might not work, and even the more scary proposition that it might work. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Seth, always always extraordinary uh, to, to be speaking with you and very illuminating, enlightening, uh, inspiring, and just thank you so much for all the great work that you do. So kind of you. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. And there are people watching this who have not read your book yet, and that's a mistake. They need to go get a copy. Oh, you're, you're very kind. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. If you're still with us, we appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with Seth Godin at Type in Seth for his blog or the marketing seminar.com or alt MBA. Is it, I'm sorry, dot com or dot org, Seth? Dot com. Dot com. Very good. Uh, of course, it is always good to hear from you at Be Creative on Purpose. Remember the words of Epictetus that I quoted earlier learning that does not lead to action is useless. Now go out there and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters. Seth Godin, thank you so much for your generosity and being here and for all the great work that you do. Thanks. Go make a ruckus. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're still with us, we really appreciate your time and attention. Please connect with our guests wherever they live online. And it's always good to hear from you at BeCreativeOnPurpose.com. Now, remember the words of Epictetus, learning that does not lead to action is useless. So go out there and share your best work with those that need it. It really matters. <laughs> <laughs>